0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I want you to take your notes, take your pads out, take your notepads out, your iPads, your your, um, phones, whatever you take your notes on, write this sentence, this question, to yourself. It's a question that goes like this. What are you doing here, comma, And then write your name. Can you do that for me? Just entertain me. Maybe like, ah, this pastor's bored. You might be right, but will you just write it down anyway? What are you doing here, Gabe? What are you doing here, Stu? What are you doing here, Claire? What are you doing here? It's interesting times that we live in. They've actually come up with a, a kind of acronym, a word for the times in which we live to describe and give a short description of the times in which we live. It's called VUCA, V-U-C-A. It means an age of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. That's the age in which we live. And we live in these incredibly VUCA times. There's new normals everywhere. What used to be up is now down, and what used to be down is now up. Um, words like frothing, which used to describe a dog maybe with rabies. I've been told by Jerry is now a really excited person. I'm frothing. I'm learning new things all the time. If, if I'm excited, I'm going to say to my wife, I'm frothing. And uh, obviously she'll know what I mean. There's other words like lit. You gotta, if you want to get with the lingo, you've got to be lit. It's, that's Lit. Jerry's shoes are always obviously lit. But um, in the old days, if you're under 30, you wouldn't know people actually loved working 40 hours a week or more. They would work globs for long days. These days, the most popular books on the New York Stock Exchange, New York book selling, uh, are the four hour workweek how to work for the least hours and get the most out of life. That's like the most popular selling book right now on the New York book selling. It's a different world. Things are changing quickly. It's an interesting time not just to be alive. It's an interesting time to be a Christian. I don't know if you noticed. Not top of the pops, top of popularity stats. We're not trying to win those stats, but we're definitely not at the top of them. It's interesting times as people come with different thoughts, and there seems to be a whole bunch of different options of Christianity that you can choose to navigate this life. And we're not necessarily at the top of those pops always either. It's interesting times to be alive. We're not the leading morality voice as we are much of a many nations and most nations, a minority voice, trying to speak and trying to engage and trying to be relevant, trying to have a voice into culture, into context. It's interesting times to be South African. Let's just be honest. And we were going to preach something else in a message, Gabe, a few days ago. I said, how about we just speak into our nation at this time, how to build a nation? Because nations don't just get built by presidents. Nations get built by people on the ground. How do you build a nation? Because it's interesting times to be South African right now. Our nation is more distressed and challenged than ever before. Tempers are flaring. People are close to frothing, but not in the good kind of way. It doesn't take much for people to go very excited on Facebook, very excited on the streets of our city. And I understand why. And tonight's not about hiding our head in the sand or not talking about the elephant in the room. The things are tough right now. Tonight's about fixing our eyes on the only one who can make any difference to that. And rather than unite us, it seems the challenges are calling more division and more where injustice and brokenness has reigned. It's causing more division rather than a nation called to come together. And maybe it's just interesting times for our city too not only about you, but I don't think it's great that the army have to come into suburbs of our city to sort out gangsterism. That doesn't bring joy to my heart. It actually keeps me up at night, perturbed, concerned, praying. What about women feeling unsafe? What about people outside of schools taking photos and things like child trafficking being a real issue in our city? It's interesting times in which we live. Can I pray? I'm not trying to get you down. I'm trying to get you focused. Trying to say, what is our posture at this time? How do we position ourselves? Because only your posture determines how you're going to respond in these times. How are you going to get your shoulders back and your head up high? So Jesus, we come and we worship you tonight. We fix our eyes on you, the author, perfect and pioneer of our faith. And yet we look at our world, God, and we know that you called us to live at these times. You've called us to declare your name these times. You've called us to live life and life to the full in these times, in this nation, in this city. And I say thank you, God. I say thank you that I have the privilege of living in this fantastic, amazing nation. So rich in culture and life. And I pray, God, show me how to live that life to the full for your glory. Amen. In Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says this: From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. So there's the whole earth. And if he just left it there, it would mean, well, you can live on the whole earth, and the mandate's open, it's easy. But then he continues: And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you're not here by chance, you're not in Africa by chance, I'm not just some Dutch lineage that ran away from Europe and came to the bottom of Africa looking for a dream and spelt their name wrong so no one can spell my surname right. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because there's a God in heaven who orchestrates everything from where I live and the times in which I live. You know what, we could read that and go, well, maybe Paul was just really happy that day and felt really happy that he was in Thessalonica or Berea or Athens at that time. That's why he's writing that. He's just high on life. No, well, let's look at that same chapter, just some of the verses before. I don't know about you, but when I read a scripture that you often get thrown around at church, I find it really helpful to understand the context into which that guy's writing. He's not just writing a one-liner in a vacuum. He's speaking about his life, and this is what he's experienced. In verse 5 of that chapter, in Thessalonica but the Jews other Jews were jealous so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace formed a mob and started a riot in the city they rushed to Jason's house sorry Jason and in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd oh so he's in Thessalonica and it doesn't go particularly well but he's saying God had him in that time there for a reason Okay, well, what about verse 13? Same chapter in Berea. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Like, wow, so it actually wasn't all good for Paul. Everywhere he went, they're rioting, they're stirring up crowds, they stirring up problems and challenge. But he's saying he was supposed to be there. And then what about verse 16? While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols He's not in the city where everyone's worshiping Jesus. There's no idolatry. It's all good. He's saying, I'm meant to be in all these places at these specific times, and there's chaos and there's trials, but I'm meant to be there. And he gets on with the mission because he understands that behind his story, even in midst of trial and challenge, there's the mission of God, which is a higher mandate. And I read this, and I I, I have a conviction that six years ago, God called my family to leave our family and 20 years of church and friendship and some of my best mates in Durban to move to Cape Town. As best as I know how, I felt God call us here. But I want to tell you that's not the privilege of a preacher. It's not the privilege of someone who works for church. It's the privilege of every son and daughter, daughter to live with the conviction and courage that God has spoken. And at this time, He is orchestrating my steps. I'm not just stumbling forward out of the darkness into more light. Oh, into darkness again. Oh, the rioting. I must be in the wrong place. Oh, the economy's not doing. I must be in the wrong place. Oh, there's, there's a bit of challenge and violence. Or I fear for somebody. I say, I must be in the wrong place. He's saying, no, God's got you in the right place. And if you'll live with that mandate, you'll find yourself on a posture where you can become part of the solution. I love this statement. It's talking about David and the leadership place around David. And there's these guys called the sons of Issachar. It says, men who understood the times. This is from 1 Chronicles 12, 23. It's David's army. And they're describing the different regiments. And this is the smallest regiment. And yet they expect to have the most impact and power. From Issachar, men who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. 200 chiefs with all their relatives under their command. Men who understood the times, then stick their head in the sand. They can go, well, oh, Saul's gone. Understanding the times meant they, they understood they were in this transitionary period as a nation, and they were at risk. And they had navigated worship, serving under a mad king, Saul, for his last years. And they navigated that season understanding the times. And then when David came, they said, we're in, we're in Lockstock and Barrel. We're putting all our skills. And they knew and they had answers for the way Israel should go. I honestly believe that this is something of a description of what the church needs to be at this time. Understand the times, which means you can't stick your head in the sand. It's not happening. No, it is happening. It's happening. There's some challenges. We have hectic statistics in our city. Hectic statistics. Let's just be honest. I'm not trying to get you sad. I'm trying to get you aware if you don't know. We have crazy statistics, and the world is watching, and the sentiment is, get out of Dodge. The sentiment is, let's get out while well, you can. Is that just my mates? Is that, is that just not the, my Facebook world? It must just be my, none of you are nodding. That's just my social media world. Obviously, I'm, I need new friends on social media. I want your guys' mates. It says they understood the times. Another description or way that it is described in one of the translations is they understood the temper of the nation. What's the temper of our nation right now? I would say it's pretty volatile. I would say it's sore. I would say it's a bit angry. And people are looking for answers. And they're looking to Surah Ramaphosa, who I think God has placed at this time for this nation, because that's what the Bible says, No whether I'm right or wrong. But the right place to look is Jesus. It says the temper of a nation. So what's our role? Do we just go along for the ride and keep shouting from the sidelines of society, Jesus, Jesus. Maybe take a placard where everyone is writing for just wages. Jesus. Is that our mandate? No, I don't think so. I think we're called to come in, whether we come into the house of a family that's in chaos, to lift and change the atmosphere and the climate in that Family story, it's the same thing in a nation. We are here at this time to present Jesus and to present a climate that can change this nation. That should be the testimony of the church now. We preached a series years ago called Are You Crazy? Because we fervently believe that faith, the essence of what we do and believe, is that we have faith in Jesus, that faith should lead people in our worlds to ask us questions like Are you crazy? Are you crazy? Because if they're not asking that question, we're just doing what the world's doing. Like when you make positive statements into the future of this nation, people go, Are you crazy? Yeah, a little. I believe in Jesus. And I believe He's committed to this nation. And I believe if I would worship Him and trust Him, that He has His hands and His heart upon this nation. So I speak His life and I speak His words when there seem to be no way forward. I call on the name of Jesus. So I'm asking you the question tonight What are you doing here? See, it's a question God asked of his man, Elijah. Let me give you a little bit of context for this dude, Elijah. I love Elijah. You're allowed to have Bible heroes other than Jesus. It's nothing. He's one of them for me. And his story goes like this. We see in 1 King 17, Elijah, boom, on the scene, God's prophet. First thing, there's going to be no rain. Quite a big statement. You know what happens? There's no rain. King gets a little nervous. Then Elijah's walking, he says the ravens just started feeding him. This guy has a hotline to heaven. His God confidence is high because God is upon him. God is using him at his, in his time and the place that God's got him. And then God pulls him into a story. He says, I want to reveal my glory. All the other men that have served have been gone. The prophets are gone. And it's the UFC event of the year. It's Elijah versus the 400 prophets of Baal. Boom, boom! If there was such a thing as pay-per-view, or I don't know, it would be all over the billboards, all over social media. This is happening now. Elijah versus the prophet Baal. It's Baal versus God. It's not Elijah. It's the God of heaven versus the God, small g, Baal. So Elijah taunts him. He says, hey, guys, get your sacrifice. And make a fire and use the best wood. I imagine they're using Roy Kranz wood and it's been primed. You literally have to blow on it and it lights up. So they put the Roy Kranz and they put the sacrifice. And then he says, come now. And they start chanting. I don't know how. I've watched. I don't know. Last of the Mehicans was the last movie I watched. So this is what I imagine they're doing. 400 prophets of Baal and they're worshiping Baal around the fire and saying, is it like? No, it's not like. And it says they worship from the morning to lunchtime. And Elijah goes, come on, boys. Get a bit more excited. So they brought out their swords. They start cutting themselves. Go read it. It's in the Bible, 1 Kings 18. They start cutting themselves and blood starts flowing. They cut themselves so much that blood starts flowing because they are get, trying to get this dead God, Baal, to light the best wood in town. And he's not doing it. And it says they do that all day until night. hanna 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 walk around. And nothing happens. And Elijah just goes, hey, come over here. Come, come. And they And the crowd's going, well, they're not working. So we're going to go, Elijah, and Come. He says, ah, wattle. Hey, Mark, cheap wood, not good wood. Wattle, not even Roycons. Nice and wet wood. Actually, guys, what I want you to do, go get buckets of water, throw it over the wood. The guy's like, ah, bad idea. Eli, not a good idea. Actually, round two, do it again. He says, round three, one more time. And they're throwing buckets. Eventually, the, the canal around the, the wood and the fire and the sacrifice area is wet, and it's all wet. And he goes, ah, And he prays to the God of heaven. And the God of heaven appears. And the God of heaven takes that wet wood and starts a blazing fire that consumes the sacrifice. And the result is the 400 prophets of Baal, dead. Welcome to the Bible. I mean, if you were Elijah, do you think in that moment there's anything that could happen in this world that would move you from a position of faith? Do you think there's anything in this world that could move you from a position of my God is able? Is there any disease? Is there any enemy? Is there any challenge that could come into your world? Well, I don't think so. I don't think so. I've seen some miracles, and I promise you, after those miracles, I want to run out and give me the most sick person in the world. I want to lay hands, and there's this God confidence that comes. But let me show you what happens in the very, very, very next scripture. Like, there's no time that's delayed. This happens. Because sometimes we read these chapters in these Bible stories. I've heard that story told. as Elijah victorious. Let me tell you the very next day. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, just a WhatsApp, I don't know. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Who's one of them? The prophets of Baal who are dead. says, let it be so severe on me. If I don't buy tomorrow, make your life like them dead. I mean, let's think about it. Elijah's just seen wet word come a light. He's just seen 400 prophets. I mean, I would think he'd go, Jesse, back in your hood, man. Just cheers, Jesse. I mean, honestly, have you seen what God did yesterday? But here's how fragile and frail the human heart can be when we lose the posture of God is glorious. This is what he says. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This is one day later. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left the servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I mean, gone are the oh, look what God did. He's running into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Let's just process this for a minute. He's just seen the greatest miracle and victory of God, over 400 prophets of Baal, and he chooses to lie under a broom bush and rather die because of a message from Jezebel. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of the Lord. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Here's what happens when man loses the posture of faith. In their life, it doesn't matter the victories they had in the past, we head for the caves and we hide. See, we get good at making nice caves these days. Call them man caves. They're still just a cave under the house, cold and wet, but we put things on the wall and projectors on, and we make them all nice. They're still a cave, a small dark place. And the Lord appears to Elijah. Let's just for a minute think, if you were God, what would you say to this man? You've just given the biggest victory ever. He gets a scary message from a scary Jezebel, and he runs to the wilderness and hides. If I was God, I'd go, hey, boy, get out of the cave. Get back and fight. But God's gracious. Why? Because God made the human heart. He knows it better than we do any psychologist. He knows He says, and the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. He's not saying you put 400 prophets of Baal to death yesterday. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for it is the Lord." for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, and the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled back his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God asks again. What are you doing here, Elijah? He says, "I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty," and he continues to make his case. And eventually, God speaks to him and gets him to move. But I feel like God asking that that question right now. What are you doing here, Mark? And here's the thing with that question. What are you doing here? Could have two emphasis. What are you doing here? Let me answer that one for you. I think Acts 17 answers that one for you. There's a God in heaven who said, Krista, I want you in Cape Town in 2019. It's going to be an interesting journey to that point, and there's going to be times you're going to want to run. But I want you, with the gifts and the grace upon your life, to be in Cape Town in 2019. What are you doing here? There's a God in heaven. But there's another question in that same question. What are you doing yeah. What, what are you doing? And Elijah could only answer, I'm hiding in a cave because a scary lady sent me a scary message. And God goes, but Elijah, do you remember what I did? Yeah, but Jezebel. And God goes, okay. I think we can be like that with God sometimes. See, the psychologists would call it this, and they would have terminology called fight or flight. And different personalities learn in different ways, and generally, our experiences would determine whether we fight or not. Will you fight, Mark? Will you fight? And and different people have learned. I've, I've got a they're not here, so I can speak. I've got a ten-year-old boy who's got a fight inside of him. He's really small and merely young for his age for his age group, but he's got a fight inside of him. So I go to rugby tournaments and I watch him. I'm fearful, as dad. Because he chooses the biggest guys and he runs them and something in his brain is telling him this is a good idea. But it's really not a good idea. But he's got a fight inside of him so he doesn't back down. He'll go at it. He always wants to fight. There's a fight. You're going to take me on? I'm going to fight. He's learned that by experience. And in his processing, it makes sense. He's got an eight-year-old brother who when the older brother wants to fight in what we call the cage... They call it a trampoline, but it looks more like a cage fighting arena. Judah is smashing Ben with a pillow and Ben's going, one day we just heard him shout out, stop it Judah, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Because <laughs> he is a lover. He would rather flight. He would rather leave than enter into a battle. That's just his makeup and experience it. And then saying, this is a good idea. Fight or flight. See, God shows us that the reality is we can have both these responses: a larger one-day fight, the very next day flight. And the problem with that picture is it represents something of a schizophrenic picture of God. It starts saying, yesterday God was faithful and able, today He's not. Yesterday God is all-powerful and overcoming all other gods, today He's not. Why? Because in the middle there was a voice called Jezebel that stood up like a giant in my life and started determining that I will no longer operate in this manner, I will stand in this manner. The Bible doesn't use fight or flight, the Bible puts it as faith or fear. That's how the Bible presents it. The Bible says, at this time, will you place your trust in Jesus... Will you allow other idols to fall away? And will you trust in faith? Not blind faith. Not faith that says, I'm not going to look around. I'm not going to read the news. I'm going to stick my head in the sand. I'm just going to read my Bible all day. I'm deleting News 24 off my phone. I'm just going to have 17 different Bible apps. I'm going to read all the different versions. And I'm going to be so inspired. No, you'll probably be useless at rebuilding what God's called us to build, called the nation. But caves... Or not when we go, when faith is burning through our veins. Caves are when we go, is when fear is burning through our veins. We want a safe place we think is safe, where we can hide. It's wet and moldy, but we'll take it. So I hope that picture of Elijah grips you and challenges you and challenges your disposition, and because I've needed it myself. And it's amazing because God says, go into the mountain to Horeb. Another name is another presentation of Sinai where God gave the, the, uh, the, the tablets to Moses. Go to this place where God has revealed himself before and wait for the presence of God. I love the way that the Passion Translation puts it in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 in, the new, in, new, in my world is famous for God's ways are not my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. We quote it, but we don't look at the context again. I want to read it from the Passion Translation. Understand this, things are not going well. And this is King David's song of, he's looking for for God in this. He says, God, listen to my prayers. Don't hide your heart from me when I cry out to you. Come close to me and give me your answer. Here I am moaning and restless. I'm preoccupied with the threats of my enemies and crushed by the pressure of their opposition. They surround me with terror, trouble and terror. In their fury, they rise up against me in an angry uproar. My heart is trembling inside my chest as the terror of death seizes me. Fear and dread overwhelm me. I shudder before the horror I face. I say to myself, If only I could fly away from all of this. If only I could run away to a place of rest and peace. I would run far away where no one else could find me, escaping to a wilderness retreat. Sounds like what Elijah did. And if I put it up as an option right now to many South Africans and many Capetonians and said, hey guys, who would love to go to a wilderness retreat? I think you'd find a few takers. And that's okay. That's the reality of our situation. And some of the realities. But I love the way the translator takes this. He just says, pause in his presence. Just pause. Don't deny, don't. Just pause. If Elijah had just paused for a moment after Jezebel's man, if he just paused in the presence of God. So God says, I need you to pause on the side of Mount Horeb. And you know what? A hurricane's going to come. It's not going to be that. A wind's going to come. It's not going to be that. Fire is going to rip through that valley. It's not going to be that. It's going to be the small whisper. Sometimes you've got to pause just to hear the small whispers of God. He says, just pause. And the whole tempo of this chapter changes. It says, I will hurry off to hide in the higher place. What's the higher place? It's the presence of God. It's under His wings where everything else starts to make sense says, into my shelter safe from the raging storm and tempest. He's not saying the storm's gone away and the tempest gone away. He's just saying there's a place. There's a place where I can go, where my heart that has a tempest going on inside of it can retreat to and find peace from the chaos. The question is, what are you doing here? And I just want to present in the next six or seven minutes a man named Nehemiah. He's a Old Testament picture of a Jesus coming. He's a a builder. He's famous for his building. And he works for 12 years for a foreign king in exile. Doesn't sound like fun, does it? His job? Cup bearer. Now that looked fun until you realize people used to put poison in those cups. And his job was to drink it to make sure there was no poison. He had to do that for a foreign king for 12 years. He does it for 12 years. And then it says this in Nehemiah in the words... In the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, great name, one of my brothers, came from Judah, while some other men and I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that had survived in the exile, and also about Jerusalem. What's, What's his first, what's his concern on his heart? How are the people, and how's the place? What should be the questions and concerns on believers' hearts right now in Cape Town? How are the people, and how the place? You know what he doesn't ask? What's my story here? Because he's anchored in the kings. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burnt with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. How are the people? How are the place? And a terrible report comes. If I ask the questions about our city and our nation right now, how are the people and how are the place? Some tired, there's some sad reports. And a lady in our morning congregation, who came to me. she's a Nigerian lady. Her son was abducted from right in front of UCT after he came out from lectures. He was beaten. They tried to steal his money and then they discarded him in Hanover Park. How are the people and how the place, the people are hurting and the place is in trouble. But you are here. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And I stand in front of a mother and saying, what are you doing here? God's got you here. See, Nehemiah faces up to these realities. He's not a priest. He's he's nothing special. He's a civil servant a thousand miles away. And those walls that are disturbing his heart, they've been down for 141 years in ruin. 141 years, those walls have been down, broken down, chaos. The people of God have been exposed to enemy after enemy. When your walls are down, the enemies can run right through your city and take everything they want, including your children and everything. You know what God does? Not through a miraculous building and an angel coming and rebuilding the walls. In 52 days, God uses Nehemiah and the people of God to rebuild the walls. Fifty-two days, walls that have been down for 141 years. And I just want to jump ahead a bit because I think the story is fantastic. In Nehemiah 4, what's happened is he, he's been released by the king because for the first time in twelve years he's sad. When last did your buzz ask you, you haven't been sad in twelve years. What's wrong? And because of the sadness in his heart, his boss releases him. The king releases him and gives him the resources to go start the project. And in Nehemiah 3, I love it. It's the next to him and next to him. You see all the people begin to rise up. The small tribes, the big tribes, the older people, the younger people, the men and women begin to rise and begin to build. And this is what we see here in verse 13 of chapter 4. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And I looked things over. I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When, your enemies, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated, we all returned to the wall, each their own work." 141 years, 52 days. What's the solution? The solution is remember your God, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families. Is there a fight in you right now? Why are you here? Why are you here, Jonah? Why are you here? Why has God got you here? If you don't have an answer, you're going to flight, I promise you. You're going to be perturbed. You're going to not realize that, that, that you are being blown around by winds of change. Why are you here? If you're here because there's a God in heaven who's bigger than it all and knew that at this time, at this nation, needed men and women like Nehemiah to stand and to trust God for miracles, you can answer the question why are you here. You don't have to answer what the end picture looks like. And Nehemiah didn't start going, in 52 days, the wall's going to He's just going, I've got to start a journey back. I've got to get back and go. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to place families at the lowest points of the wall the most exposed points of the wall. That doesn't make sense, Nehemiah. It doesn't make sense. Why would you put kids there? Why? Because there's a God in heaven who's above us. He's beyond the situation. We're going to start to build the lowest parts of the wall. Will you be a builder of the lowest parts of the wall? We all love the top parts of the wall. What about the lowest parts? And there's so many things I could say about Nehemiah and his leadership. But he encounters this terrible news, and how does he respond? Not copy and paste. Hashtag terrible, hashtag run. See, there were their own forms of Facebook in those days. He gets on his knees. He fasts and he prays and he weeps for 40 days before the God of heaven. See, to just fast, weep, pray. You can do that but if it's not before the God of heaven who's in control of it all, above it all, we're just lamenting with no journey to go on. But if we get on our knees. One story and then I'm gonna close. Years ago, a family named the and who you know, Rihanna Maria, moved to South Africa. And an English lady who knew nothing about the bottom of Africa said, I will move to your nation, Afrikaans man, if you buy a house on a golf estate behind some nice high electric fences. Because I've read the news she came here, and she did exactly that. She hid behind the fences of a nice golfer's day. Until one day, she needed Jesus, and she encountered the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus got in the smallness of the cave of her heart. And she started ministering with something called Recycle Swap Shop into the lowest points of our city. Driving in there with Louise, Von Fikides, and other amazing ladies in the life of this community to go see people uplifted. And through that project, there are ladies who still work in the recycle swap shop, who've built their home in the Eastern Cape through the products that come out of the recycle swap shop, through the ability to earn. By collecting plastic in the city, they earn. And now they've moved to England, and we're a little bit lost. Who's gonna go? You know what I wasn't thinking of? Let's find a young Afrikaans white lady. Is that sound like how could you even say that, Pastor? I'm just being real. Who, who? Let's find the perfect person to go into the lowest parts of the city, see transformation, change come. You know, God gave us a young Afrikaans white lady, who doesn't speak foreign languages. She speaks Afrikaans. Not much use there. But her heart was not in a cave. And she's gone in for the last two months, and people have started joining. And the city of Cape Town said, We want to give money to you. And theft has stopped in the project, and the products become profitable. Why? Because a Nehemiah-type person named Suzanne has put her hand up and said, I'll pay a price, I'll build the lowest parts of the world. Why? Because I love Jesus and I love his people. All I'm asking of you is respond in faith. Respond in fear, you'll end up in a cave. It might look nice and it might. Be nice, and the stats might look good right now, but it'll be a cave, because it won't be faith. I'm not saying don't go overseas. I'm not saying don't take up opportunities. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is whatever you do, do it in faith. And when we posture ourselves in faith, we can cry tears, and we can lament, lament like Nehemiah did. What's the news? And he wept, and he cried, and he mourned, and he prayed, and he fasted before the God of heaven, the only one who can change everything. All I'm asking for you at these times as you read the news, as you navigate and you make life choices, stop running to the cave and get on your knees and pray and weep and fast when you read the news and you hear testimonies about children being abducted, get on your knees and pray and weep and fast because it is overwhelming. It is overwhelming, but the one who overwhelms me more is Jesus. The only one who overwhelms me more is the God of heaven. And when I'm on my knees before the God of heaven, everything is possible. Come on, come on. And when I'm on my knees before the God of heaven, my weeping turns to joy in the midst of my enemies. He creates a table for me in the midst of my enemies. I find peace in the midst of chaos. Yeah. Find faith at this time to live in these times, in this nation, and this city. And you'll become a Nehemiah. You'll become part of the answer. You'll become part of the solution. But you know where it happens? Not when we're back at the war building. It happens when we're on our knees, weeping. If there isn't a weep inside of you for this nation right now, you don't know the times. You're hiding your head in the sand. But don't let your weeping turn to fear. Let your tears fall before the God of Heaven. I pray for this community. I've been praying a lot for the single ladies of our community. I've been praying tears for the people who are lived, living behind. Things called burglar guards, I think, will keep them safe. There's only one. Right now, fear has to fall. Fear comes from one message from one lady called Jezebel to a man who's just defeated four, and he, he finds himself wrapped in fear, and the Goliath of his time starts to rise up his head. I'm telling you, there's a Goliath shouting across the battlefields at the hearts of the believers. Goliath is shouting, says, fear, fear me. Fear what I can do. Fear. Fear your job loss. Fear economic challenges. Fear. And it's loud. And I've taken time tonight to build in a story and an argument because I'm asking you, position yourself in faith before the God of heaven. And watch a miracle unfold. Watch a miracle. Can I ask, can we get on our knees If you can't get on your knees, please feel free to stay on your chair. But I don't know about you, but I don't think anything's going to change by me standing, standing and shaking my fists at the stats. I honestly don't believe anything's going to change by me standing at, at City Hall and shouting at a city manager who doesn't have the answers. I think things will change when I find myself on my knees weeping before a God of heaven who loves this nation has done miracles in this nation. If, if you weren't around in 1992, what God did was unbelievable. He did it in this nation. And I would watch at that time, I was a teenager and I watched Christians go to church and they would on their way to church buy as much water and food as they could from the shops and stash up those just in case God wasn't able. And then go to church and sing about how glorious God is. I'm saying something was wrong with that picture for me. some people in this room who come from a nation called Zimbabwe and God's wanting to sow fear because look what he did look what happened there I'm not asking you to put your head in the sand I'm asking you to posture yourself in faith on your knees and weep and fast and pray and petition the God of heaven so that faith rises up Right now, let fear, if you are gripped by fear, right now, I pray, Spirit of God, break the chains and the lies. Silence the dece- silence the voice of fear right now. Ask for faith to rise, courage to rise, for Nehemiah's to come out of our midst and keep us on our knees. Can we pray for our nation? Will you say with me? Heal our nation. Heal our nation. Heal our nation, Lord. Heal our nation. Will you petition? Heal our nation, God. More academic papers aren't going to do it. More freedom fighters aren't going to do it. But God. Right now, fear is something that grips your heart. And honestly, I think it's every man and woman that has the propensity to allow the Goliath of fear to grip their hearts. Speak to your own heart right now. Speak. Say, fear have no place. You have no authority. You will not shout. And as David cut off the head of that Goliath, let us cut off the head of the Goliath of fear in our lives so that Jesus takes the highest place. And so that walls that were burnt down for 140 years can be lifted up again. That the statistics of chaos and rape and abuse in this nation would be turned around. Do it with us, God. Do it with us, King. Abuse and addiction statistics turned around. Do it with us, God. Divorce statistics turned around. Do it with us, God. I pray. Start with me. We worship you, Jesus. We praise you, King. I bless every person here, and I pray. Speak. You had to take Elijah out of the hurricane, out of the wind, and out of the fire, just so he could hear your whisper. Could we be a people who know what it is to pause in the presence of the Almighty?